Well, hello. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study here at Celebration Church. Good to have you all with us here, as well as our campuses over at Appleton and Stevens Point, and all those who watch all over the world on the internet. We are going through the New Testament, uh, one verse at a time. We just finished off with First or Second Timothy, and uh, we ended at the end of Second Timothy. We read these words: Second Timothy, the fourth chapter, verse seventeen. Paul's writing. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. We'll give us more detail. <laughs> we don't know what happened. Apparently that was a story he had about how God had helped him in a very bad situation. And his next words are, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom, to him be glory forever and ever, amen. Uh, the uh, context here is because he, uh, he had gone through what he had gone through and even how God had saved him from the lion, that he has all this confidence that God will be with him through anything. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, sorry I wasn't here last week, Deb was really sick in the hospital and I was all caught up with that, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, Two weeks ago, when I shared this with you, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stop and share with you some of my own personal experiences about how God has uh, helped build character and faith in my life. We are all products of our experiences. And what we want to do is, I mean, you are who you are because of what you've gone through in life. It is what it is. Uh, hopefully, you've had, as a Christian, some very positive experiences with God, those who do, it tends to build their faith because you've been delivered from the lion's mouth, boom, you're ready for the next thing, uh, and so on. Now, when we read the story of uh, King, D- King David, actually before he's king, when he's David and, and Goliath, and he shows up, the entire army is frozen solid. They're, they're in fear because of this big yo mama dude named Goliath, and it's a significant thing. And back in those days, they didn't have guns and stuff, you know. Uh, gun, a gun is a great equalizer. <laughs> Little skinny guys and great big guys pretty much have the same advantage with a gun. Back then, it was just mono mono man. Whoever the biggest, toughest dude was usually prevailed. And this guy is huge, and everyone was scared to death of him. David comes along, undoubtedly a teenager, and uh, he, he comes out on the scene. He says, well, I can take that big, fat guy. <laughs> And everybody's mortified. Well, you arrogant little twit. I mean, his brothers just went off on him. And uh, what makes you think? And uh, he says, no, I can do it. I know I can do it. And he starts sharing stories, two stories. How God had saved him from the mouth of a lion and how God had saved him from uh, a bear. And uh, these were smaller experiences than dealing with Goliath, but they were significant experiences nonetheless. And because God was with him in those circumstances, his confidence was at a very high level. He didn't just walk in from point zero and be the toughest, baddest guy in the nation, all right? He had done it through experience, experiencing at smaller levels, kept building his confidence to where, and his faith in God, because he knew that God was with him, that he was able to do those things. Uh, Look at uh, Moses. Uh, We've been doing a series this year significant events of the Old Testament. We ended off with Moses. We'll pick it up again after the first of the year. But uh, Moses starts out, he has no confidence 
I mean, he started out with confidence, and then the opposite happened to him. Life knocked the snot out of him. See, it can happen either way. So here he started all this confidence. Everything goes wrong, so now he has no faith. He has no confidence. God Almighty himself shows up, starts speaking to him in an audible voice, and tells him to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses goes, I don't want to. I don't want to do it, man. You know, seriously, you got to get somebody else. I'm not your God. And, and God's getting ticked off. We actually read God, got to the point where God wanted to kill him. <laughs> when, when Almighty God shows up and tells you to do something, and you go, nah, that's a bad day for you, all right? So, uh, but anyway, obviously he doesn't kill him, but he's really horked. And uh, so finally he gives him his brother Aaron to speak for him, which means, as I pointed out, you know, we see these movies where Moses stands before Pharaoh and he's got his big stuff, let my people go, is not what happened. He didn't say Jack. He just stood there with a stick. And every time they had a question, he had, he had to whisper to Aaron. And then Aaron said stuff. They're probably like, who's the old guy with the stick, right? So, I mean, there's not like this dramatic anything. He's like this girly man, old guy. And, uh, uh, so he starts out that way, but then God shows up and starts doing incredible things. Well, by the end, I mean, Moses is, he has no problem talking. And we get to the end where Deuteronomy or whatever it is, I believe is the record of his whole last sermon, which is, oh Lord, what a speech. Glad I wasn't around for that. I'd be passing out. It's a long time. This guy, he got, he couldn't shut up. I mean, he is talking this, that. You know, speaking this, and I mean, he became this dramatic butt-kicking leader. Why? Because now his confidence had been built up because he started experiencing God. Uh, and we see this all throughout the Bible. God comes to, uh, uh, what's his name? I just went blank. Uh, he had the fleeces. What's his name? Gideon. Gideon. Good night, old person syndrome. Runs into Gideon. Gideon is hiding in the basement. He's afraid. He's a, he's a, he's a biggest girly man. Uh, the Midianites are in town. They're kicking butt and taking names. He's afraid. He's hiding. He's, he's, and it's his most humiliating moment when most of us would have walked up and slapped him. God shows up and says, you're a mighty warrior. Gideon goes, I'm a girly man. He starts also, especially how many of these guys argued with God. Tell him, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. There's no way I can do it. And then he starts experiencing the supernatural in small ways. And uh, the point of the fleece, this is the time where Gideon, God shows up, does little things, you know, through this angel, and he's still afraid. He says, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to lay out this fleece, which is a, a lamb without the lamb in it anymore. And, uh, and he puts it on the ground, and he says, I'll tell you what, tomorrow morning, if the fleece is dry, but the ground is wet, I'll know you sent me. And uh, so that's what happens. And then he goes, okay, let's try it again. This time the fleece is wet and the ground is dry. And, or whatever the order was. And boom, the same thing happens. So finally he gets enough confidence. This guy goes on with 300 men, experiences one of the greatest military victories in the history of mankind. Decimates an entire army with 300 men. You guys seen the movie 300? Cool, yeah. Based on a true story, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't like the movie. <laughs> that sounds cool. 300 Spartan Greeks who stood up against the invading Persian army. 
long enough, slowed them down long enough for the Greeks to rally and repel Persia. Persians never made it into Greece. But all 300 of those guys died in the attempt. It's one of the great sacrifice stories in history. Well, Gideon had just 300 men and wiped out the entire army, didn't take a single casualty. So, I mean, that's all of a sudden, he becomes this incredible man. And we see this over and over and over and over and over and over again throughout the Bible, including even here in this little passage where Paul talks about how he experienced God and how he's confident that uh, God will deliver him from any trouble and situation. So I'm just going to share some of the stories in my life. It's story time with Pastor Mark. So uh, when I first became a Christian, I was 16 years old, and I didn't know much about anything. I had been raised a Catholic, uh, which many of you have been, and didn't really know much about the Bible and stuff because, not to slam the Catholics, but a lot of it is just about the rituals, as long as you do the rituals and push the right buttons and, you know, you're okay. You don't have to know anything. Uh, so they're more about the rituals than the education about what's all going on. And so I became, truly became a Christian uh, and really experienced God in my life at 16 years of age. And uh, it was a mess. You know, I had been, you know, it was the 60s, <laughs> smoking dope, dope, taking LSD, you know. And uh, crazy and rebellious and in trouble all the time and just an absolute disaster for 16. It's amazing how messed up I was. And then all of a sudden, boom, my life turns around, experiencing God. So all I know is I uh, was, you know, sitting in my basement, smoking dope, and this really cool hippie came down. He was like the coolest hippie in town. And we all wanted to be like the really cool hippie because we weren't as cool as the cool hippie. And... Uh, he came down, and apparently he had been out west, and he had gotten saved in the Jesus people movement at the time. He comes back. He starts sharing with us about Jesus. And I'm, we're all staring at him like, what? <laughs> and he kept talking. Man, I'll never forget. His face was just glowing like a light. But man, talking about the Bible, everything he said was wrong. <laughs> it's true. I found out later. That, that ain't right. That, he's crazy. That, he wasn't even close to being right. But the Bible says this, and the Bible says this. Oh, we're just, uh. But all I could remember is see, all of a sudden I felt like I could see Jesus on the cross looking down at me. And I just broke down in tears. And I said, will, will you pray with me to accept Jesus? He said, wait, I'm not done yet. And he goes on. <laughs> I got to interrupt him like three times before he finally shut up. And, and prayed with us, and I'll never forget asking Jesus in my life, and it was like a ton of bricks just got lifted off. I could physically feel the weight of guilt and sin being pulled off of me. Everybody has a different experience, but that was mine. So we start becoming Christians and, and, serve, you know, and following Jesus. We don't know anything. We're not really a part of a church or anything. And uh, so... Um, so we just start praying and start reading our Bible and hanging out together and eventually found a nice church and stuff. But I, I remember one of my first experiences, I probably hadn't been a Christian more than a week or two. And I just remember I had this, I told you this last time here, but I remember just having this horrible sneezing fit cold. I couldn't stop. It was so irritating. And I remember closing my eyes and just raising my hands. Oh God, help me with this stupid cold. And I felt somebody touch my hand. And I looked up, but there was nobody there. I thought, well, that was weird. But all of a sudden, I wasn't sneezing anymore. It was a very small experience. I said, maybe it was a fluke. I don't, I'm just telling you what happened to me. That was cool. And that started the first time I'm realizing, wow, God is actually real, and he can do things. And uh, I remember about a month later, I'm reading the Bible. And I'm reading, now back in those days, we had the King James Bible, okay? Wherefore thou sayest unto thee, thou greatest, watch him a jigget. 
And it's like, so you read it, so you don't really know what the heck's going on. Uh, and I'm, I'm just reading it because it's like in this foreign tongue, which is, you know, everybody read the King James Bible back then. And uh, I will never forget as long as I live. As I'm reading it, it was like from the words, just screamed out at me because I was, I was in a rock and roll band. And just like, like this audible voice, I, I can't even describe it, it's just all of a sudden, you need to get out of that band. And I'm not kidding you. I'm sitting there like this. The cameras are going to mess up. And I'm just reading this. And all of a sudden, I mean, it scared the willies out of me. I had never had an experience like that. And that, like I'd been to church and people talking about God talking to you. I didn't know what. All of a sudden, whoa, freaked me out. And I got, but out, well, my cheeks weren't that fat back then. So I could. It was more, mm, you know, okay. <laughs> now I can do the. A few more bratwurst, so I can really do it well. So, uh, but I'll, I'll never, oh man, it, and I couldn't shake it, and I knew what I had to do. So I called up my friends, and we were, you know, had all these dreams of glory, you know, like any punk kids, you know, musicians. And, oh, so I gotta, I gotta leave the band. They were mad. Oh, were they mad? cursing at me and coming over and getting all their equipment and taking all that. We're going to be famous and you're a nobody. And uh, when they left, all I had left was my guitar and my little Fender amplifier, you know. And I sat down and I just cried. Because <laughs> that was, a, I love that more than anything. But I knew I had to let it go. And, uh, and uh, oh man, so, you know, sacrificing that thing was a big step for me. Uh, a year and a half later, I had met this feller here, Pastor Joe. He wasn't a pastor at the time. He's just a guitar player. And uh, he and I were in a band. And we traveled all over the United States and Europe playing, doing concerts and venues and thousands of people and recording records and stuff like that. Everything that I wanted and I was willing to let go, God gave back to me. It's like, wow. I mean, that was a cool experience, right? So, so we, we're going along, and uh, um, my brother and I, Eddie, uh, and, and Debbie, she was the chick singer, <laughs> my wife, Debbie. Yeah. So we started our own little Christian band, which back then was extraordinarily rare. There were a handful of them all over the country, you know. And, uh, so, and that's how we wound up traveling with Joe and, and all this kind of stuff. But I remember uh, my dad, we had talked him into uh, buying this really cool sound system. Do you remember that custom sound system? <laughs> now, these custom systems, that's what they're called custom, but they were padded, and they just looked really cool. They kind of sounded like crap, but they looked really cool. You know what? So I had like this just two big column custom things with a big you know, highs on the top and everything. It looks, I mean, I felt like a rock star. Like, woohoo! Talking my dad into getting it. We kept saying, the Lord provides. He said, what am I, the Lord? I'm providing for everything. So anyway, <laughs> uh, and we had it in our church and stuff like that. Well, we came in one day and someone had broken in the church and taken everything. Everything. Every piece was gone. Oh, in our heart sank into our stomach, you know. We didn't have insurance. Back then, people didn't really have a lot of insurance for anything. <laughs> it's in the 1800s. 
Anyway, so all I remember, our first response is let's pray. So we all got together and prayed that God would help us find the stuff. And I'm serious. The next day we came, somebody had broken back into the church and put it all back. <laughs> well, that was cool. So little things like that just start building your faith. I mean, it's a small deal. So well, that's coincidence. I don't know. I don't know. Somebody stole the stuff. We prayed. Somebody put it all back. Praise the Lord. It was impressive to me. And we're just praying. And, and a lot of people had stories back then. It, just, you know, it, was a, it was a great time. God was moving in all kinds of crazy ways. And I remember one time we had just all decided to go to the church. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't supposed to be open or anything. But we go in there and uh, we're talking and sharing and saying prayers together and stuff. And, and uh, we said, somebody said, well, can we pray for so-and-so? Because she really needs Jesus. And uh, we go, okay, cool. So we're praying, oh God, we pray for so-and-so, that you open up her heart and that she would receive your good news and do whatever you got to do, God, so that she can hear the good news. And as we are praying, the girl walks in the church. Well, that's cool. And then the church was closed. I mean, there's nobody, no reason to even be there. She comes in and she walks down the front and just starts crying. You want to ask Jesus in your heart? Yes. Well, that was cool. You know, so just little things like, and the more you start experiencing God in little ways, the more your faith builds and the more confidence you feel. Listen, this is really important because if you don't start experiencing God yourself, your, your strength is not very strong. You're, you're, you're weaker than you think you are. It's why so many of our kids, if your experience in Christianity is just an intellectual version, you're a, you're a sitting duck and you're not likely to last. Uh, Randy was just telling me about this girl he was talking to down at Lawrence University. And she said, well, I'm a Christian. I was all my life until I was 17. I thought, well, you know, I just started believing more in science. I just, I'm not a Christian anymore. Well, here's someone, their Christian experience was just all here. When God starts showing up and answering your prayers and actually doing things that kind of go, wow, nobody talks you out of that. You see what I'm saying? Because it's not here because you've experienced it. It's like having $100 in your pocket. And someone comes along and tries to convince you, you don't have $100 in your pocket. I, I think I do. And they start explaining all the reasons that's impossible if you don't have $100, but you know you have $100. You know what I'm saying? He who has the experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. Does that make sense to you? So that's why you want to experience God. Little things like this, little things. And you start building your faith. Uh, most of it was very positive. Some of it was a little creepy. I remember at one point I hadn't been a Christian for very long. And... Uh, <laughs> this is kind of a Twilight Zone thing. It's, it's very, very creepy. Uh, I was upstairs in my bedroom, and I remember waking up, and I couldn't move. And all around me, I am seeing faces floating around over the top of me, mocking me. Oh, you believe in Jesus? No. I'm telling you, this freaked the willies out of me, scared me to death. And then it's just like darker and darker clouds in the room. I mean, I got up and I forced myself to start walking to turn on the light. And as I'm walking, I'm telling you, I, you say, maybe it was an LSD flashback. I don't know, man. I all I know, I wasn't doing drugs anymore. I am seeing stuff I ain't never seen even on the LSD. <laughs> and it freaked the snot out of me. Finally got to the light. And uh, I remember talking to our pastor and, uh, he said, yeah, 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 I've heard about stuff like that happening to people. You have? <laughs> you might want to let me know about this ahead of time, you know. 
And he says, when something like that happens, that's just the devil coming at you. You need to learn to rebuke him in the name of Jesus. And I'd never heard that before. You know, and I'm so glad, you know, that I had that kind of a pastor. Because so many people today, what they teach about this stuff, if I had to listen to that kind of nonsense, I'd, I think I'd be a different person today. You'd hear people today, some come, well, you just got a demon. We need to cast the devil out of you. You know, or we need to, you know, you got these evangelicals that are kind of like Catholics. Because when it comes to this stuff, they, they have formulas and they come in with holy water and sprinkle and cast out things, the buildings and stuff, you know. You know, I, I, sorry, I just don't buy into that nonsense. And uh, so, but, but he taught me the truth. The Bible says, if you will resist the devil, he will flee from you. Amen. What? He will run from me? I wouldn't even run from me. But he started saying, you resist him in the name of Jesus. He will, man, I, the next time something like that happened to me, and I'm feeling all this pressure and all these creepy feelings, and I just kept saying, Jesus, I, re- I trust you in Jesus, 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 devil, I rebuke in the name of Jesus, man. I, I was, all of a sudden, boom, it like broke. And that was cool. Never had the problem again. What does that do? It builds your confidence. You walk around, you're not fearful now. You're not fearful. So many people live their fear of everything. You know, they're waiting for boogeymen around the corner and... You know, the devil this and the devil that. I just, since that day, I have never thought in those terms. I don't think about that stuff. I, that's why I have no problem with Halloween, dressing up like an ogre or whatever it was I drove up this year. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. And I think it's good to have one day a year where everybody thinks about dying. <laughs> don't you? We ought to have three or four. Remind people, hey, you're going to die. What's going to happen in the grave? Don't you want to know? Let me tell you what happens in the grave. So anyway, people are freaked out, paranoid about all kind of stuff. It's this kind of stuff just starts changing you. It has a big impact on you. Learning about spiritual warfare, learning how to pray, learning how God moves and stuff like that. So anyway, I run in with Joe, and we, we go traipse it off. He's got better stories than me, by the way. You really want to hear some crazy stories. Listen to him. Because uh, he actually remembers what happened, and I'm, I was... <laughs> I was still shaking the, the drugs and the LSD. So anyway, uh, we, we're, we're traveling around and we're doing all this stuff and we're seeing cool things happen. And the more, I mean, stuff that kind of shocks you. And you go, wow, that's cool. You start learning God is always there for you. And he always takes care of you and makes a way when there is no way. See, this stuff doesn't happen. We don't preach these things from this perspective because we read about it in a book. Are you hearing me? We experienced it. We saw it in the word. Maybe somebody did talk about it in a book, but we went out and actually experienced it. It starts to change you. You become less fearful because you've been in horrible situations and seen God show up. It changes stuff around. God's favor, God's blessing, God's with you, even when people are against you. I remember the first time we went to Europe, we were doing this tour. We were like rock stars (laughs) traveling all over Sweden and stuff. And it was a blast. We're coming through. Europe, we, we come to Vienna, Austria, and we're supposed to do a series of meetings with this church. Well, we show up at this church. As soon as the church sees us, they freak because we look. I should have some pictures, man. <laughs> you know, the hair, and the jeans, the bell bottoms, and, uh, you know, and they freak, you know, because back in those days, there were some churches that were incredibly moronic. To them, a man having long hair was equivalent to fornicating. It was. I mean, they, they, they saw no difference. They were just, you know, it'd be interesting to talk to some of these nimrods today, but 
they freaked and they wouldn't have anything to do with us. Well, now we're stuck. We had another week or something to kill in Vienna. And we're like, what are we going to do now? So we're downtown and we're talking to people about Jesus. They're walking by. Was it a priest that we ran into? Who ran into that priest? No, no, but what about, because we started doing things in churches. Do you remember that? Really? <laughs> we were out to all these Catholic girls' schools. You don't remember that? Oh, yeah. oh now he remembers, yeah. Hey, oh, yeah, praise the Lord. My mind has been stimulated. <laughs> you slacker. All right, so, we run into this priest, and he turns out, you know, tell him who we are. So, oh, well, I happen to be in charge of all these Catholic girls' schools in town. So why don't you come and do masses with us? So, and then at the same time, we ran into this guy who, uh, he was in charge of booking all the discotheques in Vienna. And back then, an American rock band was like, oh, to die for. He didn't care what we sang about. So as long as we could play rock music and we were Americans, he wanted to book us in all the discotheques. So he started booking us. So during the day, we would go and play in these massive cathedrals that you see on the sound of music. I mean, these gorgeous, incredible things. And the, we were part of the mass. And the priest would go, la, 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 la. And then he'd nod at us. And, we'd, doo, 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 doo. and we'd sing about Jesus. And then we'd stop. And we nodded him. And then he'd do more. Blah, 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 blah. And then he'd nod at us. And, doo, 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 doo. And, and, you know, and all these girls would come up. Man, yeah, I remember that. Man, I was like, hallelujah. Yeah, I was very popular all of a sudden. So we're singing about Jesus in these massive church. But at night... We're going into these discotheques. And I mean, smoke filled, you know, the big speakers, the lights and everything else like that. And uh, we'd get set up on the stage, and then they'd stop the music. And then we'd start playing. And we'd do like these mini concerts in these discos. And people would come around, they'd gather around. It was cool. And at the break, we'd be witnessing the people and stuff. So, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? I mean, you start learning, you know, God will take care of you, He will show up. So, we're having a blast doing this at these discos and, and these churches during the day. Except that, you remember that real high-end disco? That was a creepy one. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 the high-end one. They were real rich guys. Remember the guy was doing the tango in front of Debbie while she's singing? <laughs> I mean, everybody else is like listening, wanting to hear about Jesus, stuff like that. We're at this real high-end and they just kept dancing. Boom, 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 boom. And we're like singing about Jesus. And they like had no clue what was going on. That one was creepy. So, uh, so, so anyway, that was fun. Um, uh, again, lots of experiences, lots of miracles you wouldn't think about. Uh, we were um, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we were on our way down to Fort Lauderdale, I think is where we're at. And uh, uh, we had to go through, we're, we're heading south out of Chattanooga, and there's this mountain south of Chattanooga called Lookout Mountain. It's really high, okay? Now, I don't know about t- today, they probably got four, four lanes all the way around the thing. I have no idea. But back then, it was two lanes and steep, okay? So Joe and the guys, they're driving. They're, you're driving a semi or something? I can't remember what you're driving. I was driving a bus with Debbie and uh, <laughs> who's the black guy from Italy now? He lives in Italy. What's his name? Steve. Yeah, Steve is with us. Oh, Steve Hubbard. So we're driving this, and I mean, we're in like in low gear because it's really steep. You know, chickens and squirrels are passing you, you know, you're, you're going, 
dang, this is bad. Just climbing. And finally, when you get to the top, you start to have the opposite experience. It suddenly becomes very fast. And we're just going, you know, riding the brakes as we're coming down. Well, I'm coming. Now, Joe and all these cats, they're all ahead of us. And they had the money, which is always a bad plan. Get in front of the people with the money, okay? Well, they're all long gone. We're coming up. And all of a sudden, smoke starts pouring out of this engine in this bus to where you can barely see. This is not good, all right? Because on one side is just sheer rock. And then the other side is, oh. You know, so we're like, ah, oh, trying to see. Where do you pull over? There's no place to pull over because you're going down. All of a sudden, there's this, we're coming around the corner. You can see through the smoke this little spot. And like we pulled in there and brought it to a stop. Oh, man. So we thank the Lord that we're still alive. And, and then we got out, and we're men. So we got to look at the engine. Keep in mind, Hubbard and me don't know nothing about engines. But we're men. You got to do the manly thing. So looking at the engine, well, let's check the oil. That's the only thing we knew how to do. So we pull the thing. It is dry as a bone. There is not a drop of oil in this engine. It's amazing it didn't seize up. So I think I know what the problem is. There's no oil. But we don't have any oil. And the money guys are long gone. This was before cell phones. This was before there was almost light in the earth. You know what I'm saying? This is, we didn't have radios and stuff. Eventually, we got CB radios. That was kind of cool, but that's even before that. Anyway, so they're all long gone. We're up there. Oh, good grief. So here we are. <coughs> you can't call me, so you got to wait. So you're hoping someone will stop and help you, but you have to understand, we're coming around a curve. So here's how people are going by us. Yee! Yee! I mean, it's, it's not like you can you know, wave anybody down. So we decided to pray. So we prayed. Debbie and I and Steve, we got to get together and we prayed and said, Father, we pray, number one, that you will send somebody back up the mountain to help us. When they see us go by, they'll come back and give us some help. Number two, we pray they just happen to have some oil in their vehicle. Number three, we pray they'll give us the oil because we got no money. And number four, we pray it needs to get someone needs to get saved, and he'll get saved. I mean, why stop? I mean, just go for it. So I said, amen. And I'll never forget giggling. <coughs> Good heavens. I'll never, as soon as we prayed, I giggled and said, well, be well for that prayer gets answered, you know. <coughs> so I remember just kicking back in the bus and opening my big fat King James Bible. And out of 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, oh. Pastor dies, freak death, telling, <laughs> telling stories. <clears throat> so all of a sudden, this guy comes by, and he, uh, and we hear, and he pulls in front of us. Wow! So we quick run out of the bus, and Southern boy comes out. He says, hey, y'all, how y'all doing? And I says, well, we got problems. Yeah, I saw that. I went by you, but I couldn't stop, because you can't stop. We finally found a place. I don't know if you got all the way back to the mountain. He came up all the way back up to help us. God bless him. And uh, so he's a man too. So then we both went over and looked at the engine, you know. He said, what's the problem? I says, we don't have any oil. Oh, man, that's a drag. He said, I got a case of oil in my trunk. 
said, really? Yeah. Well, that's cool. But we don't have any money. That's okay. I'll just give it to y'all. Cool. So we put in the five quarts, took all bit of it. And then he gave us the rest of the case because we had any more problems. And he's getting ready to leave. I said, wait a minute. He says, yeah. I said, listen, we're Christians. He goes, yes, sir. And when this first happened, we prayed, number one, someone would come back up, help us. Number two, that they'd have some oil. Number three, that they'd just give it to us. We had no money. His eyes were getting bigger, each one. And I said, we prayed something else. He goes, what was that? I said, we pray to be someone who needed Jesus. Do you know Jesus is your Savior? He goes, no, sir. Would you like to? Yes, sir. I'm not making this up. We got down and knelt on the side of that mountain, held hands, prayed with this guy, tears coming down his cheek. He hopped in his car. We took off, never saw him again. I'll see him in heaven, so I have no idea who the guy was. But I mean, that was cool. And we went, all the, we went the rest of the way, and we didn't have any more problems. Oh, yeah, now you come up with it. Eric does have a picture. <laughs> yeah, the, the Harry brothers. That's me and Joe. And that's, uh, that's my wife, Debbie, with the long hippie hair. That's Gail there. I'm playing the piano, Mr. Hairball. And, and so that's what we did. It was, is that you, Joe? That's not you. That's Ulf Christensen. Oh, you're behind him. <laughs> We're so old. Oh, Lord. Okay, so. So what does that do? That just builds your faith. You just start getting more and more confident. You have less and less fear. You've been in situations where it's impossible that some of these things would happen, yet they happen nonetheless because of your faith in God. And this keeps building and building in your life. Well, years later, we were in uh, Marshfield, Wisconsin. We lived there for uh, 20 years, 17, 18 years, which was about 18 years too long. And uh, <laughs> it was brutal, man. Don't go to Marshfield. Anyway, so <laughs> only sick people go there. That's why. That's what... So uh, I had a, uh, uh, a business at this point. And uh, we used to write music for radio and television commercials. That's what we did. So we were kind of in this music video business for years and, uh, and did all kinds of crazy things. Our greatest claim to fame is we produce a piece of music that is in the movie The Bucket List. So there's a scene where they don't give us credit either, those little turds. But they sent us the checks, praise the Lord. So anyway, the, uh, because of the type of music, they don't have to give it in the credits at the end. But uh, it's when they all land, they're traveling around the world doing their bucket list stuff, right? And they land in India. And you got this real funky, that was us, you know? I didn't know anything about it until I'm watching the movie. I go, that's our music? You know, it was very exciting. Anyway, so that's that and a lot of stupid other things we did. But uh, mostly commercials for like banks. You know, these jingles you hear on the radio and stuff. That's what we did. So I had this little studio and had all this equipment and stuff like that. Well, and then on very odd occasions, we would go and perform for different functions for churches and stuff like that. So we got invited to come down and play for this fair in uh, uh, Indiana, central Indiana. 
So we loaded up all my production equipment in there and all the keyboards. It was back when synthesizers were the rage and everything. Synthesizers, everything. Those were like, everybody's amazed by that stuff. And so it was me and a drummer. Two guys could be a whole band with all this equipment. So we get everything loaded up and uh, he's got a pickup truck and uh, it's totally loaded with stuff. You can't see anything. And then we rented a little U-Haul. And uh, so, but it was a little tiny U-Haul. So when you're driving the truck down the road, you can't see the trailer, okay? Uh, and you can't look through the because it's all stuff in there. So the only way you kind of turn on there, you can kind of see it. And so we go, we do this gig. And, uh, and then the next day we're driving home. And we're driving fast. <laughs> I was, uh, I'm going like 80 miles an hour, you know, down the highway, you know, trying to work our way home. We come to the outskirts of Chicago. We go all the way through Chicago. We come out the other side of Chicago, and we're headed towards uh, Rockford, whatever, before we start heading up north. And uh, at one point, uh, the uh, drummer, Todd, says to me, hey, man, you see the trailer? I said, what do you mean? Have you seen the trailer? Man, what are you talking about, see the trailer? You know, we couldn't see the trailer. So we pulled over. We both got out. We came walking around the back. And there's nothing there. <laughs> I look at him and he I mean, there are, there's no sign that ever existed. The ball's gone. Everything's gone. Just gone. Well, I freak because I'm going 80 miles an hour. Now, you can imagine losing a U-Haul at 80 miles an hour. That thing's going to go crashing and flipping, right? And causing accidents because everybody else is driving 80 miles an hour in Chicago. You're not driving 80 and they'll run you over. You know, so it's like this. So, and I'm, oh my goodness, they're probably looking for us right now. The people responsible for 50 deaths on the highway. So we freak. So we quick pull into a, a, a state patrol. I am shaking. I'm seriously, I'm convinced we killed who knows how many people. And uh, so I go to the police station and we tell them what happened and stuff like that. And it's, you know, has anything horrible happened? So they get on the radios and, uh, no, sir, we, we check with her. There, there's no accidents anywhere. Really? He says, yeah. And then I said, anybody report a trailer? <laughs> I was so relieved we hadn't killed anybody. And he's checking with everybody, checks with Indiana, said, no, nobody sees any trailer. Well, come on, it can't just disappear. So we're driving back, and I'm looking for skid marks and, you know, dirt, so there's a trailer somewhere. We went all the way back to central Indiana, never saw a thing. We finally turned around and started heading home. I had no idea where it was. Now the fear starts setting in. All of my equipment's there. It's how I make a living. It was probably $15,000, $20,000 worth of stuff, which back in the mid-80s for me was a million dollars. might have been a million dollars. And I didn't know what I was going to do, how I was going to pay for this stuff, how I was going to get more equipment, how I was going to feed my family. You know all the fears that come into your head, right? Just like screaming into your head, screaming into your head and freaking you out. I remember we stopped for gas, and Todd was in there paying for the gas, and I stood out where the trailer should have been. <laughs> and, and just calling out to God. And I says, God, I know you can do anything. You're the God of the mountain. 
you know, the guy that was with us when it was a bleak situation and just start asking him to do a miracle for us, do something, but we're not going to be afraid. I refuse to be afraid. That was the main thing. Getting rid of fear. If you don't get rid of fear first, you can't pray. You'll never get a miracle if you're driven by fear alone. I mean, the fear is the opposite of faith. It'll suck the life out of you. And all I did is went back and I kept reliving some of these events and particularly that time I was on that lookout mountain and how God had answered our prayers. And just all this confidence filled up in me. Not because I read it in a book. Not because I heard somebody else talk about it. Not because some preacher told me it was true. But because I had experienced it myself. And I'm telling you, the peace of God just blanketed over me. And got back in the truck and just started driving home. Never did see the trail, never saw anything. Pulling up to the house. We're driving along. Todd goes, man, I feel like I'm stuck in one of your stupid stories. I said, you are actually, you know. And uh, then we thought, insurance. Insurance. We got the insurance for the trailer. Ha ha. Full out the insurance read. Exceptions. Mysterious disappearance. well, I think we're not going to get insured here. It's not going to cover us. So we're just, uh, so we have to deal with the trailer with the company. Anyway, I remember pulling in. Of course, I called my wife and told her what happened. (laughs) You what? (laughs) That's not even possible. I know, man. So we pulled in and when we pulled in, my wife comes running out of the house and said, the guys who took your trailer, the guys found your trailer. Really? You say, yes. And they're holding it hostage. <laughs> what? I said, yeah. They said they were driving behind you guys and you were driving like bats out of hell. And all of a sudden that trailer popped off and just started running alongside of the road perfectly <laughs> and came to a stop. It's like angels are riding that thing. That thing should have flipped and crashed. It didn't. He said it just popped off, came over, and just ran right along the side of the road, right, you know, on the side of the road, on the gravel, whatever, and came to a stop. So we got out and went, man, we're waiting for you to turn around. (laughs) He never came back. Then we opened up and saw all that stuff in there. If you want it back, it's going to cost you $5,000. Okay. So... We called the police and told them what had happened. And of course, we're trying to explain this to the Marshall Police Department. (laughs) They didn't believe a word we said, not one word. They were convinced we were running some kind of an insurance scam. No, this actually happened and they wouldn't believe us. So we called the Chicago police and they said, Okay, well, when they call back, set up a meeting. So when they call back, we set up the meeting. He says, yeah, we're going to be south side of Chicago. There's this uh, truck stop. When you come, wear a Hawaiian T-shirt so we'll know it's you. No, Hawaiian shirt. (laughs) So I got this real gaudy Hawaiian shirt. (laughs) So we get the the cops told us, come down early. So we get down there and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to surround the uh, truck stop with police and we're going to send this cop with you. He's going to act like he's your manager and he's going to negotiate the deal, the trade-off. And uh, so 
uh, okay. And he said, what we'll do is uh, he'll whip out the flash roll. They call it the flash roll. Any guys, cops or anything like that. It's a big roll of money. And they care with it. And what it is is whenever they flash the flash roll out, all the criminals all go, and that's when the cops come in and take them. It works every time, they say, because they're just idiots. Yeah. Just, yeah. So when I flash a roll, then you start stepping back, okay? And if there's any shooting, get down. <laughs> what? Shooting? Now we're talking about shooting? Do you remember this, Phil? Yeah. How old were you? I don't know. 12, 11, I don't know. Yeah, something like that. So anyway, I go down. I'm my Miami Vice, okay? Because I got the Hawaii t-shirt. I got this cop with me, and he's the manager. So I come out to the truck stop, and I'm standing there in this <laughs> neon Hawaiian shirt. This guy comes up to me. You the guy with the trailer? Oh, yeah. Well, come over here. So we go inside where they had this restaurant. We sat down. And we start negotiating the trade-off. Well, this cop is my manager. And he's negotiating real hardball with him and cussing a blue streak. And I'm thinking, dude, you're going to give this away. This, this is a Christian band. <laughs> because the guy knew we were Christians, you know. But he was too stupid to figure it out. This guy, not the brightest people in the world, some of these people. Yeah. You blankety frazzing, flying for stuff flying everywhere. I'm like, whoa, man. The guys look at me and go, yeah, what he said, you know. <laughs> so it's all right. All right. Because I give you much, I see it. All right. All right, follow us. Follow us. So now we got to go follow this guy. And the cop's talking to his radio says, okay, got to follow us because, you know, we're going off site. So now they're all scrambling from their positions to get another vehicle so they can follow us as we're following this guy. Well, we crossed the line into Indiana. Now we've got interstate trouble here, and uh, we're uh, pulling into this, I think it was like a Denny's restaurant, but as we're coming in, all of a sudden, you can hear the cops say, the van broke down, the van broke down, what, so all the cops, they're in the busted van, <laughs> and we're still playing this game, and I'm like, and all, I remember all the things, how bad can it hurt to be shot, I can't be that bad, <laughs> yeah, a little sore for a couple of days, I mean, it can't, it can't be that bad. I'm trying to calm my brain down, right? <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, uh, finally comes over to this uh, uh, pickup truck. And the guy gets out. And he's a big guy. I mean, this guy, he's built like a... And the cop says, where's the stuff? He says, over here. So he pulls back the tarp over, and there's a bunch of my stuff. And the cop says, is that the stuff? I'm like, yeah. Well, this time the cops had already rallied, so they were spread out around us. And he says, all right. So he whips out this big wad of bills. And I go, whoa, look at it. <laughs> it's like, how precious, how stupid is this? So I'm staring at the money with the guys. Like, whoa, look at all that money. He starts peeling off all this money, counting out. Well, while they're doing this, all of a sudden, in the corner of my eye, I saw these cops coming with guns pulled. And I'm like, <laughs> 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 
boom, they come in, grab these two guys, slam them up against the, you know, truck, bust them, handcuff them and everything else and throw them in the paddy wagon. I'm riding in the paddy wagon with the guys <laughs> on the way to the police station. And, uh, oh, no, police, he had to show us where the trailer was because he just had some of the stuff. So they're going to go show us where the stuff is. And uh, so I'm sitting there back there. I felt a little uncomfortable. <laughs> some of these guys are... So anyway, uh, went and, and found the trailer and everything was there. We didn't lose a thing. We hooked up the trailer, drove home, and like it never happened. Every, this was two weeks later, south side of Chicago. Every piece, every single thing, we got it back. And uh, drove home, we're like, wow. And, uh, well, that's cool. See, you just keep experiencing stories like this over and over again. Some of them are dramatic, some of them are small. It doesn't really matter. It's just, it just keeps giving you confidence. We can start to trust God in really icky situations. And it's not because it's the first time it's happened. You see, what I feel bad for, and I've said this many times, I feel bad for people who are Christians and they face something really nasty and it's the first time in their life they've ever had to trust God. Those are the people I feel sorry for. You know, don't do that. You young people, man, trust God. Pray, ask God to do things in your life. See what he does. Expect God to show up. It'll start building your faith. All y'all do the same thing. Start seeing it, and then it starts to build your faith. You start to have more and more confidence in, in what God can do. Um, I remember there was a time where it got really tight, you know, starting our own business, you know, in Marshfield. And uh, it was awful. We were so broke. <laughs> They're always coming up, shutting off the gas. <laughs> and this is in the winter. They can't do that anymore. They used to do it. That was my experience when they used to do it. So they shut off the gas. And, uh, and of course, we never told our kids what was going on. You know, remember you guys complained, man, his house is cold. What's wrong with his house? Stupid old house, man, they're freezing. Well, so we had an electric oven, so we just went and stood in front of the oven. So what is this? I don't know. We've we got to get it fixed, you know. Which is a story there. Don't be dumping on your kids all your crap. Y'all listen to me? Especially you fathers. You're supposed to protect your family. And that means more than just taking a brick to somebody coming in your house. You need to protect them emotionally, spiritually, in all kinds of ways. And I say that because I know some guys. Every little fear you have, you vomit all in front of your kids. Oh, it's getting bad at the plant. We're going to lose our jobs. and I'm not going to have a job. We're going to have any more money. And I don't know how we're going to make it to the next month. You freaking the snot out of your wife and children. Shut up. Hey, man, be a man. Grow a pair. It's in the Bible somewhere. All right. Look it up. So we never told him all the moment we're going to die. and we're going to survive. But it was rough, man, hand to mouth, hand to mouth. And then I, we had this really great deal at this place we were renting, and they sold it, so we had to move. Anybody been there before? You know, that stinks. So we get in this other place, there's more money, and, and we had to have a $400 deposit. Well, we moved in the weekend, so we had to have the deposit by Monday. And we moved in, but I didn't have any money. <laughs> and I'm, what are we going to do? And the redhead, you know, I would try and freak out to her privately. She had so much faith, it was frustrating. Because I would get, I try to explain to her how the world's coming to an end. She said, oh, it'll be fine. She falls asleep. 
wake up, woman, I'm trying to freak out here. She's, you know, just, man. So we're just praying. Let's trust God, praying, God, trust God. So it comes Monday morning. I don't have $400. You know, what would you have done? Give us a couple of days. You know what I'm saying? You do what you got to do to survive. We're scrapping them, man. We're praying and trusting God. All of a sudden, this old Cadillac pulls up in front of the duplex where we're staying at. <laughs> this big old cowboy gets out. <laughs> and he comes out. I says, hey, I hear you got a recording studio. I said, yeah. I said, well, I want to make a record. Okay. See if I can fit it into my schedule. <laughs> See what calendar has here. Uh, yeah, I think we can start uh, tomorrow if you want. He said, all right, great. So I'll, we can start next week then. He says, I said, okay, great. He says, but I probably ought to give you some money so you know I'm serious. I, I would, you know. Nobody gives you money up front in this business, I gotta tell you. So I, I said, okay. And he whips out and he takes four $100 bills. How's that? I said, that's pretty good. <laughs> and he hopped in the Cadillac and took off. I literally walked over to the other condo where the people owned it and I knocked on the door. He came to the door and said, Here's the $400. He goes, do you normally pay in cash? Usually not, no. <laughs> what does that do for you? It, it builds your strength. It, it builds your faith. It builds your confidence. And you continue to trust God. Now, that's not to say that everything always goes smoothly. It doesn't. You know, there's times when things really sucked, just like everybody else. But when it really mattered, God was always there. And it was always easy for us to trust God through all these situations, pastoring this church and doing all the things that we're doing and all the other stories that we could eat up all kinds of time, telling you about how God had done this, that, or the other. Uh, and even when Deb uh, got the initial diagnosis for cancer, you know, that was quite a shocker. It was malignant melanoma. And they said she'd have maybe five years. That was 20 years ago. And tumors that would appear all of a sudden would start to disappear. And it just increased your faith. And you kept trusting God. And then all of a sudden, she got breast cancer. Well, that sucks, right? And the doctor said, they're not related. One doesn't have, I mean, it's just two. It's a freak situation. One doctor said to us, you must be the most unluckiest people in the world. We just smiled at him. And, uh, and we just kept trusting God. And for the better part of 20 years, we have seen one answer to prayer after another answer to prayer after another answer to prayer. It's been fabulous. It's been great. And the one would go away, and then the other one would pop up. And that one would go away, and another one would pop up. They, they'd go back and forth. The, the breast cancer, the melanoma, just like that. It was like whack-a-mole. Back and forth. Uh, and, you know, uh, I remember doctors getting mad at us because we weren't more freaked out. They get mad. 
they tell you you're going to die and you keep smiling at them, they think you're crazy. <laughs> Which we might be crazy, I don't know. But, but uh, you're not taking this seriously enough, we go. No, we get it, dead. <laughs> I mean, uh, and then a year ago, they both popped up at the same time. This time it was different. And I felt it right at the beginning. I had a sense. This time it's going to be different. And I've always told you guys, those of you who've been listening for a long time, every time I share a story like this, you have to remember, at some point, those are one of the prayers that doesn't get answered. Everybody goes, okay? And even if God answered the prayer, you're still going to die later anyway. It's like Lazarus. I mean, how cool was that? He drops dead. Jesus raises him from the dead. The sucky thing is now he's got to die in. <laughs> he's not here anymore, right? Dying once, I would think, would be sufficient. Dying twice has really got to suck. So anyway, uh, so it is what it is. And, but, you, you know, you stay, you stay confident inside. And people are always checking with us. And, you know, the doctors are still checking with us because they finally came in and said, you know, this... This is it. We're out of options. We don't have anything else. And uh, they just charged her on Monday, sent her home, basically to die. And, uh, and they have hospice coming. Man, all day, hospice, one hospice person after another. It's like, one to leave, another one show up. One leave, another show up. One came in, one left, another one came in. I said, you must be the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You know, I mean, this is like, <laughs> the next ghost will appear and, you know. So, uh, and, uh, you know, they come and make sure that we're handling it fine. And it's, but I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's sad and it's painful and, you know, what's going to happen? I don't know. You know, God could still show up and turn it around, which means he's got to get close to dying again later. I mean, at some point, everybody goes, you know. So I don't know what's going to happen if, if, you know, this, this is the ultimate test that we've gone through. And, uh, and I just feel like God's really doing something in us, in me, in this church, even through this really difficult time. I really do. I say, well, if it doesn't turn out right. You know, the odd thing about it, I, I have the sense that God is getting more glory out of her suffering than if she had been healed right away. And, and I think it's because a lot of people... They don't really have a whole lot of faith. If she got better, they think, oh, well, it probably wasn't that bad. <laughs> right? You know, okay, let's pretend Joe drops over dead right now. <laughs> and, uh, and one of your nurses come over and you check and he's dead. He is dead. He's like, not mostly dead. He's completely dead. Right? And we're, oh my goodness, he dropped over dead because he's currently dead. And five minutes later, he pops up. I guarantee every single person in here would think, oh, he probably just had gas. Right? Isn't that what you think? Oh, he probably wasn't really dead. Are you hearing me? I mean, we're Americans. You know, science and everything. I mean, that's the way we think. So at some point, we blow off the answers to prayer because we think, well, it was a fluke. It would have happened. It was lucky. You know, that guy would have stopped and helped down the mountain. You understand know what I'm saying? That your head does that to you. But now this is, this, is, this is a hard one. And still knowing that we can trust God even in the face of death. And if that's what happens, so be it. God is faithful. And I hope it's a blessing to all y'all because we're all gonna have to do this someday. 
I hope it's a really long way away. I hope I go very quickly. You know, a sneeze. <laughs> He's dead. That's <laughs> terminal sneeze. That's what I'm hoping for. Something like that. But you don't know, and nobody knows, but we know one thing, that is God is faithful even in death. And as I preached on Sunday, the reality is our focus all this time is supposed to be going over there. So she's crying and she's hearing this. And I, I went and whispered in her ear. I said, hey, baby, that's what we've been waiting all this time for. This is what we've been looking for since we were 16 years old. Someday we're going to go be with Jesus. And for her, if there's not a miracle, it's going to be sooner than we thought. But God's faithful. And it's the reality. I don't want to stay here. This place kind of sucks. <laughs> right? You know, don't get so comfortable that you'd rather stay here than go to heaven. Someday we'll all be there. And I told her, it'll seem like a couple of minutes. It'll seem like to her, it'll be called, she'll get up there and all of a sudden we'll all start popping up. Hey guys, hey guys. You know, time is it's a whole different ballgame over there. So anyway, these are just a series of stories. That's why we're able to do some of the things that we do. Joe's able to do some things, you know, and, and he's got sucky things happening to him too. We all go through stuff that's bad and hard, but we've learned to trust God and to be faithful. People can't just talk us out of this stuff, even when things go wrong, even when the answer doesn't come. Why? We have a lifetime of experience of knowing God personally and seeing him answer prayers. And for us, at our age, when a prayer doesn't get answered, we just suck it up, buttercup. And we don't get mad at God, and we don't point fingers at God, and we don't yell at God, and it's just, this is what it is, you know? Sometimes you suffer. So, anyway. Moral of the story, trust God in your life. If you're a new Christian, or if you've been a Christian for 100 years, and you've never so much as had to, you know, trust God for anything. There's people like that. They make really good money. They have all the right insurance. They, they, they've never had to trust God really for anything. Uh, Start, and maybe if you don't need it for yourself, do it for other people. Praying for other people who need help. I guarantee you find somebody who's jacked up somewhere and you won't have to look very far. Watch God answer your prayers for them, okay? And you'll start seeing God show up. As Paul wrote, and we've been reading over and over again, he said, it is the power of God. It is the power of God that seals our faith. And we want to express, don't let your faith just be intellectual, I know about Jesus. I know about all this stuff. Let it become experiential. And then when life really goes wrong and prayers don't get answered and people do stupid things you have no control over. I mean, that's another thing, you know. Uh, you can still stand firm because you know, and Paul said, I know in whom I have believed and I am convinced that he's able to finish that which I committed to him against that day. Hallelujah. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your kindness and your grace. We thank you that you are faithful. We call you faithful. We call you true. Lord God, we're so grateful for, number one, just saving us and taking us out of the ickiness of sin and setting us free of all the nastiness and bitterness and anger and all the stuff that would just destroy our lives. We're so grateful, Lord, that you've done that for us. And we thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that we've been experiencing and help us to continue. And I pray for all of these listening to me, Lord, that they would more and more begin to experience you, learn to trust you, see answers in prayer, even if it just starts with sneezes. Something, something, somewhere where they start to start laying a foundation 
where they know they can trust you and that faith will build in them. So that we can all get to the point that even when life gets really hard and there are no answers at all, we are not swayed. We are not blown around. We stand firm because that's the kind of faith that you built in us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.